If you could have that passage that uh, Graham uh, read to us earlier, that would be great. That's uh, uh, Mark chapter 10 and verses 46 to 52. Now, it's an interesting chapter, Mark chapter 10. And I, I guess as, I, as you look through Mark 10, there are a number of themes or a number of things in, in, in Mark chapter 10 that we could have spoken on. For example, you see there that Jesus talks about, uh, um, about divorce. And we could have spoken about that. We could have spoken about uh, the, the rich young ruler who comes running to Jesus with a great desire. Then he has a great doubt and then he goes away with a great disappointment. We could have spoke on that. We could have spoke upon the fact that Jesus blesses the children. We could have looked at um, the discussion between uh, John and his brother, uh, James, who were wanting to be with the Lord. They wanted to be in front, you know, taking the best positions. And it's interesting, the words that uh, Jesus uses here. He, he, he says that, you know, there is no one greater than him at all. But what I've chosen to do today is to look at this section from verse 46 to the end because I think there are some really important lessons um, for us to learn from this passage. So this is about a man called Bartimaeus, and we know that he is the son of of a man called Timaeus. He was a blind man. We're told that he's, he's been blind for a long, long time. But this was a blind man who had real vision. We could say that he had 20-20 vision. It's something which I haven't got. But this man had 20-20 vision. Oh, yes, before you say, well, he was blind. Well, I know he was blind. But he had 20-20 spiritual vision. Just as I introduce this passage, it's interesting that there are many people who say uh, there is no one sublime as those who will not see. And I suppose that uh, that is true because there are many people that you and I see walking around the world today whose eyes are working just fine. They can see everything around them. Their vision is good. Yet they cannot seem to see the way that they're living their lives will eventually lead them into a lost eternity, will lead them away from God and will lead them to a place of torment. In this story, in this passage that we are looking at this morning, we're presented with a man who was absolutely blind. Bartimaeus, he couldn't see a thing because his physical eyes, which we, he was born with, were blind. He couldn't see. But yet he could see things on a different level. He could see things on a spiritual level that others were actually blind to. Those who could see, they were blind to these things. This man, yes, was physically blind, but he surely had 2020 spiritual vision now I don't know whether you've seen that advert from Specsavers you seen it well there's several of them 
But the one that I like best is the shepherd. You seen him? He's out there, he's sharing the sheep, and he's going for it, and he's going for it. And the last one to get shared is the sheepdog. <laughs> and then the caption comes up, he should have gone to Specsavers. Well, I'm, I'm thinking, I shouldn't have gone to Specsavers. I, I went on, I think it was the 23rd of March, to get uh, new glasses. And uh, the optician said to me, do you know you've got one of your pupils is bigger than the other? So I said, well, I vaguely remember going to see someone about 15 or 16 years ago to Rodney Street because they said, oh, you need to go and see a specialist. So I went and he looked at them and he didn't do anything about it. So 15 or so years on, the optician says to me, do you know you've got one pupil bigger than the other? So uh, he did the blast test on me and he did the depth of field vision test on me and to all intents and purposes, I thought my mince, I'm sorry, my, I was say mince pies, I thought my eyes were okay, uh, but obviously they weren't. So he said, I'm going to refer you to see uh, a, a specialist ophthalmologist at St. Paul's uh, Eye Clinic. So I, Julie gets the appointment and I goes to uh, the, the eye clinic and um, I was there for over two and a half hours as they were testing my eyes. I came out, you know Vinnie the Panda? You know who Vinnie the Panda is, don't you? You know Fox's Biscuits? The kids know who Vinnie the Panda is, don't you? Okay. Well, I came out like Vinnie the Panda with these big yellow rings all around my eyes with the dye that they'd put in my eyes. And the conclusion was that I had glaucoma in my left eye. And I, I thought, I'm really sorry that I went to Specsavers in the end because I was quite happy before. Uh, and so I, the, the, the upshot of it was that they said to me, um, sent me a letter and said, uh, Mr. Cheeseman, who's the consultant, he says he doesn't want to do anything at the moment. Uh, he's going to leave it for three months. I hope it's not 15 years like the last one. <laughs> he's going to leave it for three months and then he'll have me back and he'll make a decision as to whether he's going to give me drops for my eyes or whatever they're going to do. But, you know, um, we're talking about vision and we're talking about blindness. My grandmother was blind. She had glaucoma. So I suppose it's hereditary and it runs in, in the family. And I can remember my grandmother from uh, early 60s being on a white stick, you know, and her vision was very, very poor. And eventually it was just, it was just a blur. But there was another woman who was born blind and she was also born deaf. Can any tell, anyone tell me what her name was? Thank you, Eamon. See, he's on the ball, that lad. That's, he's on the ball. Well, this is what Helen Keller said. She says, the only, the, the only worse thing than being... The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. The only thing worse than being, than being blind is having sight but no vision. Now, as I look out on the congregation this morning, I'm reminded again of the truth that not everyone who came in here today can possibly see. Now, I'm not talking about visual sight now. I'm talking about spiritual sight. Well, your eyes may work fine. You don't rely upon a white stick like Grandma Higson did. You don't have a blind dog or a guide to assist you this morning. 
However, there may be those amongst us who simply cannot see spiritually. They cannot see their condition before God. Though they can see the world around them, they can't see the truth of God's love and plan for their lives. Why? Well, the answer is because they're blind spiritually. And I hope and trust this morning that we will say from the passage how we can see that Jesus is who you need. Jesus is the one who can give you that sight. Jesus is the one who can op- open up your heart and your mind. Jesus is the one who can give you that inward vision of him and, ho- and of his glory. And if you will do this, then you can leave this place in a right relationship with God, possessing 2020 spiritual vision, just like uh, Bartimaeus. So let's look at the passage together as we go through and see this blind man with 2020 vision. Now I've divided her up into five sections and they're not going to be long. So we will be away by two o'clock, I'm sure. Um, but he, these are the, the, the divisions. First of all, we'll see his pitiful condition. Second, we will see his persistent cry. Then we'll see his, his own personal cost. Then we'll see this powerful cure that Jesus did for this man. And then we'll see his preferred course of action. And then we'll have uh, some words just to conclude with. So in the first place, verse 46, we read this. This man, his pitiful condition. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples, this is Jesus, and the great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Well, what was this pitiful condition? Well, we can see there, first of all, he was blind. And I guess that in the time in which Jesus lived, in the time of Bartimaeus, this was probably a common occurrence. They didn't have proper sanitation. They didn't have, you know, eye salve like we have today. They didn't have ointments in order for them to, you know, to get, to get cure. Probably the conditions that they lived under, the sanitary conditions and, you know, hepatitis A and everything else that went with it it probably would have been quite rampant. So blindness was probably um, something which was obvious for a lot of people. But you notice he was also a beggar. And it's almost concurrent, isn't it? They almost sort of sit together. If someone is blind, then they're not able to do things for themselves. So what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to beg for food and for clothes and for alms. Now, I don't know whether you've been into Liverpool City Centre recently. You, you know, you probably have. Uh, I choose not to go into Liverpool City Centre. I do go on a Sunday night, but during the week, I tend not to go into Liverpool City Centre. Um, but I guess as you walk around Liverpool City Centre now, there's an obvious presence now, isn't there, of people who are begging. Do you see that? For those of you who go into the city centre, there are far more people who are sitting off begging. Now, some of those will be professional beggars, Okay but there will be quite a number who are genuinely, you know, they haven't got two brass fardens to rub together. So they're begging for the essential needs. Oh, yes, it's true to say that some of them will be begging because, you know, they're trying to feed a habit such as alcohol or drugs, 
you know, and that's why they want to acquire uh, money. But there will be others there who are begging just to sustain them, you know, through, through life. But this man, because of his physical condition, he was prevented from finding and performing a job in order to earn a living. And in that day, there was no welfare programs. No, there was no DHSS or whatever you call it nowadays. I haven't got a clue. There was no welfare state. There were no charitable organizations. There was no Liverpool homeless outreach for them to, to go to. There was nothing and nobody who could help him. No social security, no government programs, nothing. So this man, blind that he was, was also a beggar. So I dare say his, his situation was quite pitiful, really, when you, when you think about it. It was a wretched condition. But, you know, Jesus had something to say about the poor. This is what Jesus said about the poor. He said, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Now, it's interesting, Steve, that you should tell the story of Moses this morning. And I suppose that that could have been applied to Moses in a sense, you know, because they were poor in their condition and in their state and so on. And the fact that he was going away, he's saying, you'll always have this state of affairs that you've got, but you're not always going to have me. And you rightly brought out to the kids there, you know, the effect, the impact that that had uh, upon the people there. So in his condition, Bartimaeus is a good portrait of every person outside of Jesus, every person who was lost in sin. And my friends, like Bartimaeus, the lost person is spiritually, is spiritually blind. Listen to what uh, the apostle says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 4 and verse 4. He says this. Well, we'll read, we'll read verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And then again in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18, we read these words. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the, of the blindness of their own hearts. So you see, Jesus himself speaks about spiritual blindness. The Apostle Paul speaks about spiritual blindness. And like Bartimaeus, the lost person who is also a spiritual beggar, they can do nothing and they have nothing within themselves to produce any change in their lives. They can't do a thing. It has to be done for them. They're simply sitting by the side of the road begging as Jesus passes by. And then in the second place, we have his persistent cry. You'll see there in verses 47 to 49. Um, And when they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, 
when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to, began to cry out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise. He is calling you. So this man was someone who, he wasn't, let the moment, he wasn't going to let the moment pass by. This blind man, Bartimaeus, he meant business. He wanted to have his sight and he would have given everything and done anything in order to receive his sight. Even though he was blind, he was able to see things that others around him who had their vision couldn't see. This man who with this 2020 spiritual vision, he's now going to cry out because he recognized, first of all, who Jesus was. Do you see that there? Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of God, Messiah. That's who he recognized, who Jesus was. Bartimaeus perhaps had heard about the miracles of Jesus, about the lame being able to walk, the the deaf being able to hear, the dumb being able to speak, those being cured of leprosy and all kinds of diseases. He may well have heard of all of these things. But as he sat by the highway, he heard the travelers as they talked to one another. He'd heard about Jesus and now Jesus is here and he's not going to let the moment pass by because he recognized who he was. Secondly, he realized what Jesus could do. Bartimaeus exercised faith in Jesus, which is the key ingredient for anything that we receive from God because faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. And it's by grace that we're saved through faith and none of ourselves, lest any of us should boast. In fact, he saw some things that many in this building have never seen. Some things that you need to see today. He knew the secret to life and he knew that secret to life was in Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know whether you know the, the old hymn. Well, some of you will be old enough to remember this. Do you remember the, the, the hymn and the song that Jim Rees used to sing? No, it wasn't Distant Drums. It was this one. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll welcome you. It is no secret what God can do. And this man knew the secret. He knew that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone was the one who could help him. He saw that, his, that this, this is his greatest opportunity had come. For years, he'd probably been sitting there by the side of the road begging. And now he's going to grasp the opportunity as Jesus comes and passes by and he cries out, Son of David, have mercy upon me. He also saw that this opportunity could easily pass him by. Now, if Bartimaeus had sat still that day and said nothing, then the next day would have been like the other days before him. And that opportunity to come to Jesus and to receive not only that physical 
vision, that physical sight, uh, is blindness being healed, but also being placed into a right relationship with God himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he also saw that this was an opportunity that might never return again. Apparently, Jesus had never passed that way before. And for all Bartimaeus knew, he may never pass that way again. And he knew that if he were going to receive help from Jesus, then he had to call on Jesus while he was near. Again, my friends, we need to understand that if we allow salvation to pass us by this day, then we may never have the opportunity to be saved again. Why do I say that? Well, this past four nights in my life has been quite horrendous. And I'll tell you why. A friend of mine, a dear friend and colleague of mine, uh, who worked with me, did a similar job to me. Uh, he had been a recovering alcoholic. He'd, been, he'd not drank for 11 years. That's a bit of a tall order, isn't it? For an alcoholic. He hadn't drank for 11 years. And then recently, whatever the circumstances were, he relapsed. And... Um, I went to visit him. On my way from the hospital, I went to visit him at home. And when he opened the front door, I knew that he was unwell. I said, you're not well, are you, mate? And he said, you better come in. So I went in. It was like a war zone. You know, I, for his own dignity, I, I cleaned the flat up. There was cans of, empty cans all over the place. For his dignity. Because I didn't want him sitting in there. And I asked him if he was being, getting supported from work, and he said no, and I was disgusted with that. So uh, when I got home, I sent an email to one of the commissioners and got you know, a political answer back. Then I wrote to the service manager. I got another political answer back. And I said to him, you know, they said, oh, he's got to go to Liverpool services. Now, remember, I was working in a drug and alcohol recovery service. Okay, that's where we were working. So you would, you would think, wouldn't you, that, you, you know, that your ground staff, your troops, your frontline staff would be the first people that were going to be helped. You'd expect that, wouldn't you? Not be told because of, he had a different postcode. He didn't have a Whittle postcode. He's got a Liverpool postcode. He's got to go to Liverpool services, which would have taken four weeks for him to get into treatment. And we said that he's not going to be around in four weeks' time. That's how devastating this man's condition was. He didn't even last four days. On Sunday night, and I feel emotional as I'm telling you this, but I, I need to tell you this, my friends, because we do not know the moment. He stepped outside of his flat. He fell over. He got a ca catastrophic injury to the back of his head, multiple skull fracture. Caused the bleed on the brain. And at 23 minutes past 10 on Wednesday night, haven't seen him on a life support machine in Aintree Hospital, they switched off the machine <coughs> was he a believer he was he had great faith and we had a lot of discussions and the week before my colleague had been to see him and he said to him paddy paddy what is it that you want as he eyeballed him and do you know what the answer was he said jesus christ his girlfriend said to me do you think he was being called i said you know, I don't know. But I do know this thing, Rachel, that Jesus Christ offers us hope. And the hope he offers is this. He, he offers peace 
eternally. That's what hope is, isn't it? Jesus Christ, he offers us peace eternally. And we can only know that peace and that peace of God which passes all understanding when we're in a right relationship with him. Now there is a lesson here for every person who has been saved. Especially those who have come to Jesus perhaps in recent days. Because you know my friends, after salvation there will be a change of direction in our lives. You know my own testimonial verse is this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. I love it. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, it's, we don't have to turn over a new leaf. It's not like having a baldy tire and going and getting a retread. It's not like sort of refurbishing the house and, you know, doing a little bit of a makeover on it. It has to be a transformation of life in every way, shape and form. Our Muslim friends, they have a worldview. Everything about them is dominated by their view of Islam. Wouldn't it be great if we had a Christian worldview? Wouldn't it? That everything that we say and do is dominated by what the word of God, the word of God says and not by our whims and fancies. Because I tell you what, my friends, I can't see today the difference between Christians and non-Christians when it comes to the Lord's Day. I just can't see it. Or am I just a 69-year-old fuddy-duddy? Am I? Or you're too, you're, too, you're too conservative then? You know, you're too reformed in your views then? Am I? Well, maybe we should be getting back to basics. Maybe we should be getting back to the word of God. And for those of you who are liberal out there, okay, and you say, well, do you know what, Finn? You know, I've got complete Christian liberty and I can go and have a bottle of wine or a bottle of beer and, well, you fill your boots. You go and do that. But remember my mate Paddy, please, when you do that. Because it creeps up on you by stealth and it will take you when you least expect it. You'd be surprised at the number of Christians that I've counseled in lots and lots of churches in this city over the past 25 years who started off by having a little glass of wine and then a bottle of wine and then it ran out of control. Well, this man, his repeated cry to those who stood by would listen to him. Son of David, son of David, have mercy upon me. But you know, there was a personal cost to this. According to this verse, when in verse 50 we see the and throwing aside his garment, this is the blind man, he arose and came to Jesus. Now, of course, you know, I don't know how many suits you've got in the cupboard or how many skirts you've got in the cupboard, ladies. But this man probably only had what he stood up in. He just had his, his, his cloak, his coat. But he cast aside his garments because this man, the Bible says, that he was prepared to give everything. This means he threw aside his outer coat and jumped up to go to Jesus. And the coat must have been the thing which was very valuable to him, perhaps in the cold nights, something which would keep him warm. However, he counted the cost 
and was willing to pay whatever the price. Now, I don't want any of us to leave here today with the impression that coming to Jesus is without personal cost. Sometimes the price we are called on to pay is very high. Some have lost family and friends over a decision for Christ. Some have given up home and even their lives because they chose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, everyone who comes to him has to give up something. There is a cost because Jesus says this, what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and then loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It was the great Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, you know, 29 years of age, brilliant preacher. If you've never, ever read any of the sermons of McShane, you know, I, 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 I exhort you to do so. But this was a quote from McShane. He says this, if Christ, if Christ is worth anything, then surely he must mean everything. The hymn writer says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me saviour or I die. There is a cost in coming to Jesus Christ, isn't there? Isn't there? And then look at verses 51 and 52 with me. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, Rabboni, my great one, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. And my friends, this is his powerful cure. When Bartimaeus came to Jesus, he was asked a very important question. And his response was one of pure faith. Because he believed it was Jesus and Jesus alone who could cure him. He trusted Jesus to heal him. And then the impossible happened. The blind man received his sight and was restored to wholeness at the word of Jesus. Now look, I know that with modern technology, you know, if my eyes were a little bit more dicky or, you know, if I got cataracts or anything like that, you know, actually there's a funny story about cataracts. Um, this lady went to the opticians and um, the, the optician examined that and said, Oof, you know, I think you've got cataracts on your eyes. So he sent her to a consultant, an uh, ophthalmologist, to look at her. And she arrived at the, the hospital and they examined her. And she had 28 contact lenses over her eyes. Now, she assumed that they were all going to be melting off or however they disposed of. But that's what was causing the problem for her. And once they peeled off these 20, I mean, the... The, the microcosm, when they peeled off, you know, the, uh, the, these contact lenses, a, a vision was absolutely perfect. It's amazing, isn't it? And that's a true story. 
So, you know, we, we do thank God for modern medicine and modern science. We're able to do that. But we're talking about the miraculous here. We're talking about a man who was born blind. And was talking about a man who could be cured by Jesus. The blind man received this sight and was restored to wholeness at the word of Jesus. My friends, we need to understand that when Jesus said he has been made well, that phrase means he has saved you. That's what it meant. He's been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been delivered from his sin. His spiritual eyes have been opened and he sees Jesus for who he is as the eternal son of God. He sees Jesus who has laid down his life and sacrificed himself, who's paid in full on the nail for him at Calvary's cross. This was a personal salvation for this man that Bartimaeus has now received his sights. Bartimaeus got far more than physical healing that day. He got spiritual healing as well. And my friends, this is what happens when the lost person, a person who's outside of Christ, responds to the gospel of grace. God, by his Holy Spirit, works irresistibly in the hearts and minds and wills of individuals. And it may well be that you're sitting here this morning. You may be a churchgoer. You may be a card-carrying, you know, paid-up member of the Christian society. But you may be far, far, far away from the Lord Jesus Christ in terms of personal salvation. My friends, I implore you that you put all the trappings of religion one side, you know, with the bells and the smells and all of the, everything that goes with it. You put it all one side. You strip it all away, just like the man took off his coat. Take off that coat which is holding you back and come to Jesus Christ. Call upon him, the Bible says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man is thought and let him return unto the Lord and to our God for he will abundantly pardon my friends, this is what happens when a man or woman comes to faith in Christ. Completely and eternally, they will be saved by Jesus. My friends, in this day of religion and self-righteousness, we need to remember that salvation only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why, remember in Acts chapter 16, there's the jailer, you know, and he's he says, what must I do to be saved? I mean, he's going to top himself. The sword's there, ready to go. He thinks that they're going to do one. The prisoners, the, Paul, he's going to go. And he's besides himself. And he's ready to finish himself off. Paul speaks to him. What must I do to be saved? That wonderful answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household as well. Wonderful, wonderful words. My friends, if you're trusting in anything other than Jesus for salvation, then you are in for a rude awakening. And then finally, and very briefly, is preferred course of action. As I mentioned a moment ago, after Bartimaeus was healed, Jesus told him to go his way. However, Bartimaeus he wanted to be near the one who had healed him and had saved him. 
And this is a theme which occurs several times in the Gospels. For, for instance, remember the, uh, the, 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 the Gadarene demoniac in Mark chapter 5? He wanted to go to be with Jesus after he was healed and saved. And this simply reminds us that when salvation comes into a life, that there will be a desire for the things of God, that the saved person will want to walk with the Lord in holiness. Because the word of God says that without holiness, without it, no one will see the Lord. So we have to be marked out, don't we? We have to be marked people. And, and, and the mark that we are, we are children of God is that we're marked with holiness. Now, let me just qualify. We're not marked with perfection, okay? We're not perfect because we won't be perfect till we get there to the there and then, not in the here and now. But our lives have to be separated. That's why Paul says, come out from amongst them and be separate. So we have to be distinctive. We have to have clear, distinctive principles, biblical principles in terms of how we live our lives. And they will want to be around Christians. They will want to be in church and be part of a part of what God is doing in a local congregation. There will be a profound change of life. It will be dramatic in many cases, and it has to be. It was dramatic in the time of Lazarus, wasn't it? You know, there's Lazarus. He's dead in the grave four days. The, the sisters start pointing the finger. If only you'd have been here, it's all your fault. Our brother wouldn't have died. What did Jesus say? Didn't I tell you this was for the glory of God and the Son of God would be glorified through it? Didn't I tell you that? And then they asked that question, you know, do you believe this? And what a wonderful answer that comes back from Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. And that was the case with Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And you've heard about what all the commentators say about if he hadn't called his name, all the graves would have emptied. But that was the impact that the voice and the calling of Jesus has upon dead souls because he brings them into life. Well, I think our time has gone and I want to conclude with just one or two points. This is a, a story, uh, a comment which was made one day a Christian and a communist were sitting on a park bench watching the world go by. As they watched, a poor drunken beggar walk by dressed in rags. The communist pointed to him and said, communism will put a new suit on that man. To which the Christian replied, maybe so. But Jesus Christ can put a new man in the suit. Folks, we don't need to turn over a new leaf. We don't need to get religion. We don't need to try and make a bunch of worthless external changes. What we all need this morning is to be born again, is to be born from above. You and I, we need Jesus we need to put a new person in this suit. If you know you're lost and you would like to be saved, 
then right there where you are, I invite you to come to Jesus Christ. Or you don't have to stand up. You don't have to wave your hand. We're not going to do any of that nonsense. But right where you are, pray now. Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life. Lord, be my shepherd. God, be merciful to me. That's surely what this man cried out. Son of God, have mercy upon me. That's what we need to do in genuine sincerity, in repentance and faith, turning away from sin and all that it possesses and turning and following the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he will receive you. He will forgive you. He will restore you this morning if you will only come to him. My friends, Jesus is passing by. Please do not let the opportunity pass to come to him and to be made whole.